This is the word of God, 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean, then, that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I have passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, When we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Right, all right. What's up, everybody? So my name is Mark Essick. What's up, everybody online? What's happening? 
uh, in Trenton Campus. I'm the Allen Park ha- uh, Pastor, so it's good to be with you this weekend. I'm excited. So uh, we got some great things to talk about, but first of all, I want to, we came back from Romania, a team from South Point and Going Back 360 just came back this past week. So we want to say thank you for your prayers and your support. This was the shirt. This was our camp theme, Philomena, which means be the light in Romania, Matthew 5, 14. And so here's some pictures of some of the families that we visited right now. South Point partners with Go Impact 360. And every month we deliver groceries. Well, a local church in Romania delivers groceries uh, to 11 families right now. We've never been to this area. It's the first time we've sent teams to this part of Romania. So 11 families are receiving uh, a, a big, huge thing of groceries and necessities for the month. And also just encouragement, a conversation. People that are with them love them, giving them hope. Um, some of the families were some widows that have some serious loss, some serious, uh, three of them, seriously, when we were having the conversations with them, uh, they had run out of food for the month. And so this was, they were literally, and this isn't like, you know, we say we're out of food and our pantry has all kinds of stuff we just don't want to eat. This is they're out of food. And so we were able to bless them with that food. Uh, one of the stories is uh, there's a couple families in the villages that literally there's some drunkenness and some abuse in some of the villages. It's it's, it's a sad story, but one of the families, the mom and kids are forced to sleep in a cemetery on a regular basis, and there's nothing, they can't really do much to change it right now. There's uh, three teenagers that are on their own. Their family, the mom and dad left them. They've been living on their own for a long time. The church has come around to support them, and so we brought them groceries and a meal, food. The little 16-year-old girl, Maria, is the one who's like cooking in the house. Every meal she prepares, the 18-year-old uh, oldest son of me, he's got a job so he can provide. I mean, this is just life, and there's so many stories like this. So if you're interested in being a part of or supporting families, um, we, we're looking for more families that we can sponsor and, and help even more families out. It's a dollar a day, $30 a month. You can go to the website, goimpact360.com, to find out how you can be a part of the family support ministry. We also did kids' camps with these shirts. Um, here's a picture of the team that we worked with. It's Americans and Romanians all together. Uh, and, and so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we did camps during the morning hour in a village called Pietra Shan. Um, Georgiou is the large city that we're kind of near and we stayed in. Georgiou is a city of about 55,000 people and less than 400 evangelical Christians. Under 1%. I mean, it's, a very, it's untapped. It's an unreached place. So, um, but it's, it's free. It's not dangerous. So anyways, we did kids camp Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Invited the kids to come back Wednesday night with wear their shirts. And they learned, if you remember the song, This Little Light of Mine, if you're a kid in the church, This Little Light, they learned that song in English. It's hilarious to see Romanian kids sing that in English because they don't have the TH sound. So this little, anyways, it's funny. But they did a great job. They invited their families. And to me, the pastor of the local village church in Pietro Sean said that eight parents he had never seen before came. That was a huge win for them. They're building relationships with families, and the kids were excited. They were so pumped up to do the song, and then also all their memory verses. It was an amazing week. That's just a picture of some of them there. So thank you for your support. If you're interested in going maybe next year with us, you can check out the website, goingpack360.com. We're definitely going to be going back. Switching gears, coming back to what we're going to be talking about today, but I got a story that it's kind of funny, and it's embarrassing, so I, but I'm going to share it with you. Okay, I love small groups. I've been a part of small groups for a long time. If you're not a part of small groups, man, you've got to get into a small group when they start back. I'm telling you, life change happens there, great stories, friendships, all kinds of amazing, amazing things happen in small groups. My small group this past year is a group of guys, so a bunch of guys getting together. We meet in the Allen Park campus in the lobby. There's two long rectangular tables, and we just sit around them. Everybody brings food. We have all kinds of great food each week, and then we have discussion, all right? 
And so one week last semester, I couldn't make it. Um, and so the guys were going to meet without me. And um, it was a low attendance night. So there's only like three guys, maybe four, around these two rectangular tables. And the guys, being guys, didn't pay attention and didn't turn the lights on in the lobby. Now, there's windows exterior windows, so light was coming in just from the evening, but it was like a romantical setting. Like it was like a dark where these guys are sitting around a table, okay? So that's, you have to picture that in your mind, first of all. So that my group is sitting there, like not very welcoming. Hey, everybody, come on in. Nope, we're just going to keep the lights off. A random guy walks into the building, okay? He walks into the building. He's obviously looking for something. I'm not there. I'm hearing the story posthumously afterwards. And so in our building, you walk in, and then you walk down this, like, the lobby kind of corridor, and then you turn right, and then you see the rest of the lobby, and that's where the guys are sitting, right there in front of you. And one of my guys in our group, because we love Jesus and we're such a spiritually awesome giant group, goes, hey, we're having a romantic dinner. Want to join us? He's joking, but he doesn't know this guy. This guy maybe was trying, to, trying out our group. I don't know. I don't know how that guy felt, but all I know is this. They said, well, he pretended like he had a phone call and left. Turned around and left. Oh, man, small groups are great. Here's the point. Have you ever felt awkward? <laughs> I mean, have you ever felt awkward maybe at work and weird things that people do, or maybe your family has weird traditions and when people come into it or your in-laws, they're weird, right? You just feel awkward sometimes. Have you ever felt awkward at a church? Well, if you have, you're not alone. I have too. We all have. We felt awkward in moments. Like, why do they sing in public? It's weird. Why do they sit and listen to some person talk that's not a comedian? Like, that's weird. We don't do that. Why do they give and why do they eat that tiny little bitty snack that's smaller than an airplane food? Like, it doesn't make sense. It's weird sometimes. So if this is your first time or, or you're new around here, I'm super excited that you came. I don't know what kind of things you've experienced in the past. Here at South Point, we unashamedly love and trust Jesus Christ. Like, we're following him. We're all in for Jesus, and we want to do anything that we can to help you meet Jesus. Not the Jesus that people talk about in the world or that media and celebrities want to sell. No, the real Jesus in Scripture, like Jesus. We want you to meet him so that you can learn like we have to learn to trust him. He's a trustworthy person, and maybe one day you want to choose to follow him. And so we try to teach God's word in a way that everybody, you can understand it, not in a foreign language. We try to explain the things that we do so you can understand it and participate so it's not weird. And hopefully you will do the same for others so that everyone has a chance to meet Jesus. That's what we're all about. And we're in the middle of this series called Yield, which we don't like that word because yield typically means I don't get what I want. <laughs> I want you to yield, not me to yield, right? And this series, it's in a continuation, we're going through this letter in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. And in this section of the letter, Paul is writing, he's writing this letter to these brand new Christians. They have no clue what it's like to be a Christian. They grew up in pagan homes, going to all kinds of pagan temples and, and celebrations and festivals, doing all kinds of weird things. And now they're wondering, what does a Christian look like? What, what does a Christian do when they get together? What does a Christian worship? How does a Christian worship? They had no clue. Maybe you find yourself in the same situation. And so they're asking all these questions. Paul's helping them learn what a Christian looks like. And he's, he's talking about this thing called communion. We're actually taking two passages in chapter 10 and chapter 11 today and talking about them because Paul's talking about the same thing in both. 
the, the Lord's Supper, communion, breaking bread, the Lord's table, those are words used in Scripture. To some, if you grew up in a Catholic or maybe Lutheran and other Protestants, they call it Eucharist. It's like a Greek word. Um, and so our first in the message of this series, Yield, Paul is saying sometimes you need to yield your freedoms, your rights, just in Christ. Like you have the right to do these things, but you might need to pause and yield because one, it might be hurting someone else. When you exercise your freedom, it might be hurting someone else. Sometimes when you exercise your freedoms, it may be causing a stumbling block to other people that they, they can't meet Jesus because you're exercising your freedom. And then sometimes it's in temptation. You need to yield to Jesus. Say no to your temptation and say yes to Jesus. You can listen, I mean, watch those messages online or check out the podcast. But today we're talking about this communion thing. And what does communion have to do with yield? Well, that's what we're about to find out. The big idea for today, I want to kind of give it up front and then we'll unpack it with our time together. Here it is. I will share in the Lord's Supper by examining myself, remembering Christ, and honoring his people. Interesting factoid, I didn't know this until about a month ago. Did you know that the first meal on, on the moon was communion? Interesting, right? Buzz Aldrin, you know, the guy who went to the moon, the guy that, you know, Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story, all the kids and everybody else, that's who he is. He was named after, okay? So Buzz Aldrin was an elder at a Presbyterian church, apparently, and he wanted, like, in his words, like a, like a symbol, a fitting symbol of, of giving thanks to Jesus on this lunar landing. And the word Eucharist, which is what he used in his church for communion, it's a Greek word that means thanksgiving. And so he thought, that's fitting, that I will give thanks to Jesus by having communion on the moon. And it's very sentimental and thoughtful and kind of neat. Now you get to know something. But a question, is that really what communion is? Is it intended to be done alone on the moon? Well, the Christians in the New Testament, these Corinthian Christians had these kinds of questions because they were struggling with it. It was a tradition. It was something that was started, but some of them were just ignorant or naive. They didn't understand it. Some of them were just straight up abusing it, and some of them were just confused. Maybe you find yourself in that situation when communion, because we pass communion every week here at South Point. It's what we see, the precedent in the Scripture in the New Testament church, and so we do that every week. Maybe when communion comes around, you're like, what do I do with this? You just watch everybody else and like, oh, okay, what do I do? Maybe you have no clue. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where they never really told you what you were doing. Don't know. Maybe you're in that boat. Well, these Christians were, and so I bet a lot of us have some of the same questions. And Paul is unpacking this for them because he's actually upset with them. Because what was happening in their world, the Christians were coming to church on Sunday. Remember, the Christians back then weren't meeting in big rooms like us. They were meeting in homes. And they would come to this home on Sunday, and they would have the Christian feast, communion, pretty cheap feast, <laughs> kind of small snack. But they would come to the Christian feast on Sunday, and then throughout the week, they would go to the pagan feasts and celebrate these other pagan rituals. And Paul's like, what are you doing? He's already told us earlier in his letter that there is no other God, and so when you go to these other pagan festivals, you're worshiping nothing. There is no God listening to you out there wanting to answer you. There is no power in that. However, Paul wants you to understand something. You are participating with demons. That you're participating with demons when you go participate in that meal. Even though there is no God there, you are acknowledging or you're participating in it. And if anything is leading you away from God, if anything is leading you away from Jesus Christ, then it's demonic. It's, not having, it's nothing to do with God. And if you're participating in that, then you're guilty of that. And you're leading others away from Christ. 
And Paul says, knock it off, man. You can't play the, you can't ride the fence here. This is what he said in verse 21 and 22. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are you stronger than he? Like imagine going to work or something or in your class and you say, oh, hey, I'm going to give you this job because I think you can really do that. And then you go to someone else and say, hey, I know they can't do this. Would you make sure it happens? Or you bet on your team, but then bet on the other team as well. You're covering your butt, right? You just, ah, oh, make sure everything's covered. I don't know. I'm going to win somehow. These Christians are like, well, you know, if I'm going to see which, which God is real. And, and Paul's like, whoa, whoa, you, you need to be careful, buddy. You're playing with fire. You don't want to arouse God's jealousy because God is a jealous God because he is the only God. And so participation in anything else that's leading people away from God is going to arouse his jealousy. And you say, well, how does this affect you and I today? Because I bet none of you are going to a pagan ritual festival this Wednesday, huh? What about today when people say completely yes to Jesus, but also say yes to Buddha and Muhammad and Mormonism or anything else? Because they're all the same, right? It's the same God. We're all going in the same direction. But they're not leading you to Jesus Christ. And if they're not leading you to Jesus Christ, then what does that mean? It's demonic. Are we just covering our bases? When we leave here, we're all in for Jesus here, but out there, we're like, well, it's okay. Are we trying to play both sides of the fence? I mean, do we recognize when we participate in things? Like, yeah, I see things online all the time, like those little rocks that you can, you know, pray to and use, and somehow they're going to help you, or astrology, and all this kind of weird stuff that people follow, right? New age things. And we just, ah, it's not hurting anything. Paul says, no, no, no. You're participating in demons. I want you to make sure you understand that. I can't praise you for this. Matter of fact, not only can I not praise you, your meetings are doing even more harm because you're leading people away from Jesus instead of to him. And remember when your mama said your name, like your full name, Mark Thomas Sussex? Your ears perk up. Oh, dude, I'm busting now, right? When she says the whole name, you're in trouble. That's what Paul is doing here because he's about to drop the hammer and he says, listen, I'm about to tell you guys to stop meeting unless you fix this. This is a serious deal. Sometimes we forget that this is serious. Ah, it's just something we do on the weekend. It's just a little meal, that little snack that we have to get, a little tradition, a little ritual. Paul says you're abusing it. He says in verse 20 and 21, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Don't worry, you're not going to get drunk off our grape juice, okay? You can drink a whole can of it, bottle of it, and you're not going to get drunk. But back then, they would have used wine. And I guess if you drink enough of it, obviously you can get drunk. In their culture, what was happening was this. It would be normal for people in their day and time to invite people to their home. And it would be normal for them to invite a large group of people. And in their day and time, they would sit people by their social status in most gatherings. And so the rich people would come inside where there's a table and they would have nicer food. And then there was a courtyard. And in the courtyard is where the, the lesser, the lesser social status, the poor people might have sat. And then they didn't really mingle. They stayed separate. Sometimes it was a potluck in their culture. And, you know, potluck is when everybody brings their own food. Well, can you imagine what kind of food the rich people brought? Rich people food. Duh. What, what kind of food do the poor people bring? Poor people food. And they didn't share. 
So it was totally like segregation, right? They're just, it's divisive. It's not creating unity. And they were bringing that culture into the church, and that's how they were doing the Lord's Supper, communion. This meal that was intended to unite them was actually dividing them. And the rich people were over here with all their lag, you know, extravagance and all the food and drink that they brought. They were having a great old time getting drunk while everybody else was outside. And there was no worship. There was no recognition of Jesus Christ. It was just a thing that they were doing, and it was leading people away from Jesus. And Paul says, you need to stop. In my family, Christmas is a big deal, which is pretty typical. I bet Christmas is a big deal in your family. And when we have Christmas, everybody would come. There would be a ton of people at whatever house we were at, 60, 70 people, and we'd have games. My family did all kinds of weird, awkward games, like pass the orange in your neck with your great aunt Elda. You know, like it's weird stuff. So if you came to my family for the first time, your face might be this close to my Uncle Eck, you know? It's awkward. Lots of awkward moments, man. But we had a blast. We had food, of course. But every year, one thing that was always the same is we had a devotion, a message. Every year. It was the central theme. It's what we, kind of everything led up to this, and this is the big moment. We had like a message. And I remember as a kid, I didn't start this. It was before I was born. I remember my grandfather. We called him Paul Paul. I remember him doing it. I remember some of my great uncles doing it, and then my uncles doing it. And as I grew older, I remember some of my older cousins doing it. I think I was around 16 when they gave me a shot at it. And they said, hey, Mark, we want you to. I'm like, super excited, nervous. And so I went down to this creek right by my grandparents' house. It was called Muddy Creek. Catchy, right? Uh, imagine you can kind of have a visualiza visualization of what it looks like. I went to the creek, and I got a bunch of rocks. And I washed them off, and I thought we'd do a devotion or a message. My thought would be on Joshua 24, 24. So we wrote Joshua 24, 24 on these rocks. And Joshua 24 is what Joshua says to the whole nation of Israel. As for me and my family, we choose to trust the Lord. My, my family set a legacy for me. Because, you see, my family is just like yours. We have fights and squabbles, and we've lost people, and we've gained people, and we've had all kinds of things that can separate us and tear us apart. But my family told me from the beginning, and they always celebrated this, that the one thing that kept our family together is Jesus. And so we remember Jesus every time we gather, not just in prayer, but we open up his word in scripture, and we share that with the family, and we make sure that we as a family remember who we belong to because this is our heritage, and this is what unites us. This is our rock. And so I made these little rocks, and I passed it out to all the families and said, hey, you know, this is just a, a reminder. Take it home, whatever you do with it, and I still have my rock because I wanted to pass this on to my family, my future generations. There's only one thing that can keep us together, and it's Jesus Christ. And so it's good to have a reminder of that because sometimes we forget. And so as thoughtful and as sentimental as Buzz Aldrin was about communion on the moon, it's really not intended to be alone. I mean, the word itself, communion, means to commune, to be with. It's to remind us that God left heaven and came here to be with us, to commune with us. That's a powerful legacy that God has left us. It's a powerful reminder, and sometimes maybe we just didn't realize what it was. So maybe we're neglecting it. Maybe we're dismissing it, or maybe, maybe we know what it is and we're just abusing it. It's, it's what's supposed to bring us together, unite us as believers, because we are the body of Christ. So then he reminds them who instituted this and what it was. And this is when he quotes Jesus in, in, in verse 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body 
which is for you. This, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's pretty powerful. That's why, and then the early church did this every time they gather. That's why we do this every time we gather. There's three things that we see that we can, what communion is, what the Lord's Supper is. First, it's a proclamation. It's a proclamation of the Lord's death until he returns. Jesus Christ is alive. He's not dead. And he's going to come back. Communion is a proclamation that we belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I'm not eating this meal because I'm hungry. I'm not eating this meal because I'm gathering. I'm not eating this meal for any other reason than to proclaim that I belong to him and no one else. And so when you participate in this meal, you're proclaiming that I belong to him. And so then if I eat this meal and then say I'm proclaiming that I belong to all kinds of other gods and things, then you're not eating this meal. We proclaim that we are sinners. We're humans that have sinned and need a savior. We proclaim that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sin and that we have accepted his promise, his gift of salvation, his grace, and now we're saved by faith. We proclaim that. Boldly, we proclaim that we are one, that we belong to Jesus and no one else. It's a proclamation. You see, when Jesus had this meal with his disciples, it was actually called the Passover meal. It was the night before he was going to die. And the Passover meal is still celebrated by Jews all across the world. It was an ancient celebration, their biggest celebration in the Jewish faith. And it was to remind them of what God did in Egypt in the Old Testament when he freed them from slavery from Egypt. And in in that moment in, in history... God did all the plagues, and the final one was to take the firstborn. And he said to Israel, if you take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and sacrifice that lamb, and take the blood and put it over the doorpost in your homes, then God will pass over your home, and you will be spared. And then they were saved from slavery. And so this meal for Jews were to remind them of what God did in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, no longer does it remind you of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. I am the lamb. That's what Jesus says. I am the new covenant. It has nothing to do with what happened in the old. It has everything to do with what I'm about to do for you. My blood is your covenant, not the lamb, but my blood, Jesus. And I'm about to shed this blood for you. And I'm about to break this body for you. This is what is your new covenant. And it's so powerful. If you understood the Passover meal, in the very beginning of the meal, they take three pieces of matzah and they stack them like this. It's unleavened bread. And they take the middle piece of matzah out in the very beginning of the meal and they break it and they cover it and then they hide it somewhere. They don't pull that piece of bread out until the very end of the meal. This is the piece of bread that Jesus would have been referring to. And at the end of the meal, they take that piece of bread out, which represents that Passover lamb that was broken Think about the Trinity, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son. How powerful of an illustration he was pointing towards, and they didn't catch it. And at the end of the meal, that's the last thing they ate until they fasted for the rest of the day. And the juice that would have reminded them of Passover lamb, Jesus says, no, 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 that's me now. It's revolutionary. I am your covenant. Understand in the biblical times, in a lot of ancient cultures, covenants were often in blood covenants. And so, like, if you made a covenant, which is a promise between two people, it's not a contractual agreement where we agree to do things. It's a promise. It's like when you're a kid and you say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. It's like a a serious, you know, commitment. I'm giving my life. And so oftentimes when two parties entered into a covenant, they would cut their arms and then they would shake their hands so that their arms would rub and their blood would mingle. 
because it's a blood covenant. Or in serious covenants in the Bible, what they did is they would actually take an animal sacrifice it, cut it literally in half, put it on the ground, and the two parties would walk between the two parts of the animal, and they would say, if I break this covenant, let me be sliced up like this and fed to the vultures. You thought it was bad getting a collection call from an agency. <laughs> now, that's accountability right there. You get it? It's life or death. It's a life covenant, a blood covenant. And Jesus says, I'm your covenant. I'm going to be broken. It's my blood that is now your new covenant. And these songs that we sing and, the, and everything that we do on this weekend matters nothing if that blood wasn't shed. He's our covenant. He started this meal. He's the one who instituted this, not the church. And it's to remind us, it's to proclaim that Jesus is our covenant. And the second thing it was is a memorial. He said it, I think, three times in that passage. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember him. How often do you just stop and remember Jesus in your daily life? How many times do you just pause and reflect back to what Jesus did for you, for me? To think about him walking down that road, taking those lashes for you, being nailed to a cross for you, those crown of thorns being placed on his head, the blood flowing down. I mean, do you stop and reflect on what Jesus has done? Do we remember? Because if we don't remember, we're not going to know who we are. If we don't remember, we don't know how much in need we are. If we don't remember, we have nothing to be thankful for, and we'll think, woe is me, my life is horrible. I have nothing to live for if we don't remember. Because our life matters nothing unless Jesus did what he did. And so communion is to remember what Jesus did. It's painful to remember because it brings sadness and sorrow in our minds and emotional. You know, I don't want to think about that. You need to. Jesus said you need to remember him. Paul goes on and he says this, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. This is serious business. He says, you should also examine yourself. We don't like silence, do we? We like to put something in our ears at all times, especially in public. Please just make this time go away so we don't have to think. And we definitely don't like to think about the bad things we've done, the negative things in our life. And yet God says, you need to remember that. You need to examine yourself. And during this time, we're supposed to examine and admit when I've sinned, when I've rebelled against God, what I've done just this past week to say yes to me and no to Jesus, to examine yourself. Where do you need to confess? We're a prideful people. We like to think about ourselves, not about him. And God says, you need to examine your heart. Confess that sin. Otherwise, you're going to be full of yourself and pride. The cool thing about examination is it's two parts. Because when I just examine myself and like look inside and compare me to Jesus, you know how I feel? Like a loser, <laughs> like a failure. I mean, Jesus is perfect and I'm a loser. I get that. I feel horrible when I think about putting myself next to Jesus on any kind of scale. But when I examine what Jesus did for me, because I know me, you don't. I know me. I know what I've done. I know what's happened to my head. I know me. And then I examine that Jesus did that for me. Holy cow. That leads to thankfulness. That doesn't lead to guilt. It leads to extreme thankfulness and gratitude. 
And when you have placed your faith in Christ, he says, I've forgiven you. When you've entered the waters of Christian baptism, that's when you say your promise. God's already done his promise. He made his blood covenant. Now you promise to live faithfully for him forever. And they mingle when you are baptized, when you give your life to Christ. And now we examine ourselves to confess, which leads us to gratitude. You see, God didn't bring religion. He brought communion, a relationship. When we commune together, God didn't bring rules and rituals. He brought communion. Forgiveness. God didn't bring guilt. God brought communion and restoration. We're no longer condemned under the condemnation. We're freed not from Egypt, but from sin for eternity in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what communion is. Did you know that? Now that we know it, what do we do? Because we're going to take it in a little bit. Well, here's how you do it. One, you need to do it together. So the question is, do you value this gathering? Is this important or is this just something you do every once in a while to get some encouragement when you need it? Because Jesus says you need to gather together as the body of Christ. This is your family. You need to gather together in seriousness to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, to lift him up. Do you take this gathering seriously or is it just something that we do when it's convenient? Does the world outside of here see a lot of noncommittal people that come when we feel like it to get a shot in the arm? But when we leave here, we're really no different? Or does the world see a group of people that are 100% committed to Jesus Christ? Like when we leave these doors, we proclaim Jesus. We lift him up, not just inside our safe building. When we remember what Jesus did for us, how could we not? We should do this together, and we should remember him. Visualize what he did for you. I get it. It'll be painful. You need to, though. Remember what he did. Because when you remember what he did for you, then when you leave these doors, it's easy to take a little offense from other people. It's easy to be laughed at from other people. It's easy to not get that job or get a demotion or not be the cool kid or whatever you have to suffer in this lifetime because we remember what he did for me. And then we examine. You need to examine yourself today. I can't examine you. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents can't examine you. You need to examine your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Or if you've never given your life to Christ, you just need to see where you are with Jesus. Examine your heart. Where do you need to ask for forgiveness? Where do you need to confess? Where do you need to go say, I'm sorry, and make restoration and ask for forgiveness? Where do you need to go do that? And then you need to proclaim. I guarantee you, if we did that, if we were 100% all in for this gathering, committed to all of those things, man, worship would look different. Communion would be different. And when we left these doors, downriver would be different. We proclaim, is this the only place where his name is lifted up? In your life this week, is this the only place where the name of Jesus will ever be said till you come back next week? Is this the only place where we're proudly, unashamedly lifting up his name? Do we proclaim him? He left the riches of heaven and died a criminal's death. And yet we're not willing to be faithful? Maybe because we're not remembering who he is and what he did. That's what communion is. If you've never heard that, here's a great chance to know that you are loved. Here's our big idea. 
Once again, I will share in the Lord's Supper by examining myself, remembering Christ, and honoring his people. You're going to get a chance to respond. We'll do communion in a few minutes, but right now you get a chance to respond to God's amazing love. We're going to sing a song called the Lamb of God because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Some of the words you're going to sing are the Lamb of God in my place. Your blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my death you died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. That's communion. It's life and death. It's beauty and sadness. He died my death. His blood, my sin, erased. It doesn't make sense. We didn't earn it, but he did it. Your love, Jesus is not your enemy. He's your friend and the best, the only source of salvation you can have. Another part of the song you're going to sing or chant this, there is no greater love. There is no greater love. The Savior lifted up. There is no greater love. I want to give you a chance to respond to Jesus and lift him up maybe for the first time in your life and say, I want to follow him. I want to trust him. Here's your chance. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And in this moment, I believe that there are people maybe even here and watching online that maybe need to lift Jesus up in their life for the very first time. Maybe they didn't realize how much they were loved. Maybe they didn't realize how serious this was. Maybe for the first time they're hearing or understanding or feeling that prick in their heart that says, I gotta, I wanna say yes to Jesus, man. I pray that they, they follow through with that. Confess their sin and repent, just and give their life to Christ and be baptized in these waters for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I also think there's probably people in this room and watching online that are believers that haven't taken your meal seriously, that need to repent, that need to confess. We haven't been proclaiming you, Jesus. We've been comfortable. No more. We're going to remember what you did. And then we're going to live lives that proclaim you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.